You know, the people of Judah were about to go through a major fire. Matter of fact, it was 100 plus years in the future, and Isaiah was talking about it right here in chapter 40, and what he's talking about is the sheer destruction of Jerusalem. So fast forward from 740 B.C., fast forward to 586 B.C., the historical proof is there. It's written in the history books. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would destroy Jerusalem, but not only would he destroy the city and the temple, he would take the people captive back to Babylon. So chapter 40 of the major prophet Isaiah is writing about comfort of God to his people despite their being exiled, and it hasn't even taken place yet. We're in 640 B.C., give or take a few years. That's when Isaiah began his prophecy in the year that King Uzziah died. It wasn't until 100 plus years later that Jerusalem was destroyed, yet God had said that to the people, unless you repent and change, Jerusalem's going to be wiped off the face of the map. And for all practical purposes, this was the first. It happened again in 597, and then it happened again in 70 A.D., where Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The only thing that was left of anything of the temple was what we now refer to as the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. But when you read chapter 40, where we are this morning, these first 11 verses, It's the beautiful words of comfort that come from God, even though God's people had sinned against them. Now, you and I have sinned against God, but what did God do for us? He sent Jesus. And here is Isaiah in the Old Testament. He is, I call him the evangelist, because what is he doing? He is not predicting. He's not some fortune teller. teller. He's what? Do you remember? What do we say a prophet was? Don't ever, ever forget this. A prophet is a fourth teller. Someone that is telling exactly what God says is going to happen. He don't hope it will happen. He don't think it will happen. He knows it will happen because God said it. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. And yet here we are in in, in the 7th century B.C. And now we move forward, you know, into the 4th century B.C. In the area of 586-87 B.C. And here is Isaiah giving these folks words of comfort. Now, if you look at the book of Isaiah and you go back to Isaiah chapter 6, it's a very call experience of the prophet. What you will find in the next chapters leading up to chapter 40, you'll find some rough stuff in terms of what God said, is going to be His judgment on the sin of the people. And once again, folks, God doesn't mince words. He doesn't lightly coat everything and say, oh, it's going to be nice. No, it's not going to be nice. You know? And the folks knew that. Or some did, not all. But Isaiah says to them, look what God's going to do. Despite All the judgment, despite the judgment on sin, God is going to offer the words in Isaiah 40 of comfort. Now, from the outset, let me tell you about that word comfort. I love this word in Hebrew. It's a word that, have you ever just finished something, maybe 
folks at school, it's an exam you've been worried about, and you just got that exam all done, been there, got the t-shirt, know exactly how it feels many, 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 many different times. Some of you have gone through trials in your life, and that particular trial comes to an end. What do you usually do, you know? You usually kind of just... <sighs> you know, that's that word comfort. Exact word. It means take a deep breath. <laughs> When God says comfort, comfort. Now, you got to understand, here are the people in exile under Nebuchadnezzar. He was not a good guy at all. And God's saying, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to bring you comfort. So just kind of take a deep breath. You know, I think God's telling us that today. There's all this crud going on in this world. We've got the Ebola. We've got weather problems. We've got war. We've got murder. I could just go on and depress you even more. But you know, I think God's saying to me and you on this Sunday morning, Hey, y'all. God is southern. He's from the south. He says, Hey, y'all. Just take a breath. Just comfort. That's why he repeats it twice. Do you notice that? That's not put there just to be, look good. It, it means exactly what it says. It's not only you're going to get one comfort, you're going to get double for your pleasure. I love God when He said, does this through, through men like Isaiah. He says, comfort, comfort. In other words, the comfort is coming. And I, you know, I think of God. This is the heart of God no matter what and how you look at Yahweh Himself. 2 Peter 3.9. Here's the heart of God. The Lord doesn't delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You see, that's the heart of God. People had sinned. They had turned to idols. They had turned away from God. What did God do in Isaiah 40? He said there's going to be a time of comfort. There's going to happen in your life something that's going to take place that is going to cause great, incredible comfort to you. And it's going to be something in particular someone that you can't even imagine. When the circumstances are overwhelming and the outlook looks entirely bleak, what can we turn? To whom can we turn? Is there any hope? Chapter 40 ought to say a resounding yes. There's all kind of hope. Because God promises to set His people free from their world of hardship and heavy burdens in the midst of Nebuchadnezzar and their captivity. He promises to walk with those believers through every trial and every misfortune they experience. And He not only walks with them, He brings them through victoriously. That's why yesterday Irene said to me before the funeral was over, please lead our people in victory in Jesus, because that was Alan's theme song. You're exactly right. That ought to be the theme song of every Christian. The, the, the end all, the be all of everything is that there will be victory. We win this battle. So no matter what grips you, no matter what takes you, the Bible says you can be liberated from that, from the very salvation of God, that God is going to rescue His people. He then, He did that then, He does that now, and He will rescue. What an incredible, incredible, encouraging message 
to a 21st century world that we live in where so many people are terrified even to go to their front door anymore. Well, at this time that Isaiah wrote this message, he knew that the Jews would be facing about 160 years plus of very difficult years. And for 93 of those years, they would witness a stream of wickedness through their nation, a stream of wickedness that would gain momentum and rush madly to its end. And that happened in the fall of Babylon. They would then be deported. And for 70 years, 70 years, they would be under the control of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Folks, you got to understand the, the process. you got to understand the history before we ever get to chapter 40. And then you can see why these words, comfort, comfort. I can just hear the people at that moment saying, say what? We've been in captivity for 70 years. We're dealing with this Satan of a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And yet God is saying, hang on. Hang on, just like the song said, God will show up. He won't forsake His people. And He said, I was going to bring them comfort. Now, the folks needed to trust God completely. This world doesn't do that. They needed to believe in the glorious call and the very fact that He would deliver them. They needed to live righteously. As godly as they looked forward to their day of redemption or their day of comfort. But now Isaiah, I love this man. I wish one day I'll meet him. But I'd love to have walked beside him. Because as the Old Testament evangelist, he begins preaching Jesus to the people of Judah 800 years before Jesus ever came physically on this earth. And God's people, once again, are about to be set free through God's salvation. Because God said, I'm going to deliver you from captivity. Well, that's what these first, these 11 verses talk about this morning. And he preaches Jesus. Matter of fact, there are four ways that I just want to show you this morning of how God spoke comfort to the people of Judah. And I believe he's speaking the same message to us. So here are these people, 70 years worth of captivity from Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And now God is speaking comfort to them, and there are four ways He does that through the prophet Isaiah. That's in your outline, and here they are, and here we go. The first one is this, God's words to His people. God's words to His people. Daniel has read this. You've heard it. The first starts out just like it says, Comfort, comfort, comfort my people, it says. As God's people walked through hardship and captivity, the Lord wanted to be sure that they understood that they can breathe a sigh of relief because God is in control. Folks, I don't know about you in this day and time, when I think of everything going on all around us, to be able to hear that word comfort in the Hebrew and, to he, and just take a sigh of relief to say, God, we'll see to it, folks. God's got it in His hands. We don't understand all this stuff. We don't understand all the fear that people go through right now. But I understand one thing. God has never left His throne. And He has no intention of leaving His throne. 
even when all of the circumstances point to the fact that God is not in control, God is in control. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what faith is all about. It's that word trust. It's that Greek word pistis, which literally means to have complete, total faith and trust in God. Wow. But this comfort, though, included a very deep spiritual rest, an assurance that one's life is in God's hand. You know what Irene told me yesterday? She said, and we were standing there next to Alan's body, and she said, Randy, it was just time. It was just time. And I went back to Hebrews, folks. It is appointed unto man, what does it say, y'all? Once to die, and after that, the judgment. But yet in the midst of her saying that, there was a comfort in that room at May's Ward at 9.15 yesterday morning that was a God comfort, folks. I mean, God was in that room. There was a sense of God's incredible peace. And I thought about this message. You know, God brings every sermon home to me, I preach. Some way, somehow, I get to experience it. Trust me. And here was the way I experienced that. Because there was a peace in that room that only God. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. But God could. And God did. Amen? That's what we talk about when it's God's words of comfort. So these first two verses... God uses the mouth of Isaiah and He shows the people in the midst of going through... How do you describe it with Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, you'd have to go back and read the history books and see how ruthless this man was and how power and hunger power for things and everything. Babylon, the richest nation then, and I guess we would say the world, but richest from the standpoint of things, of why I just have to read the history books to see. And then God says in the midst of that, the first thing I want you to know, the first thing I want you to know in the 21st century, the first thing I want you to know, you folks in captivity, is you're going to be comforted. There's going to be a comfort. You can take a sigh of relief because God is in control. He said all their warfare, all their hardships, everything that they faced is going to be taken care of. He said in verse 2, their sin would be pardoned and it's going to be taken care of. God assured the people that He would see to it. And ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced in my life and yours, God says, I'm going to see to it. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. But God said it. That's all I need to hear. And in the future, when the Jews found themselves in the midst of such captivity, they could remember the prophecy of Isaiah. They could take great hope in the promise in their captivity, in their warfare, that all of it would end and they would be forgiven and God would restore His people. Can you imagine such comfort? We need to hear that today. Not that we need to let our guard down in this world in that respect, but we need to hear the very fact that God is still in control. Period. There's a second thing of how Isaiah is used of God to communicate comfort. And here it is. Isaiah 
Isaiah, that's the first blank, speaks God's words to his people in the midst of Babylonian exile. God, now the first thing is God speaks general words of comfort, period, to the people of Judah. But now Isaiah, God uses Isaiah to speak God's words specifically now to the people in Babylonian exile. These are, these are words of comfort. But what, what he's about to say is here's what's going to happen. Now you've heard this verse. You've written and, and dealt with it most of your life. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God, in verse 3. In other words, prepare the way of the Lord. One of the original youth musicals that came out after Good News, this one came out in 1972. We still sing it today in some churches, but the title is Celebrate Life. Many of us my age were a part of that musical then, written by Burl Red and Reagan Courtney. Well, the lyrics of the processional of that music quote this verse right here. The song begins, prepare the way of the Lord, clear a straight path for him, clear a straight path for him. He cometh, he cometh, he cometh, prepare his way. That's the fulfillment of a verse of Scripture, or will be the fulfillment of a verse of Scripture in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 23. Listen. For he said, John the Baptist, I am the one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Remember what it says? Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet had said. Talking about preaching Jesus. Here's a man... In the 8th century B.C., in the 740s, now telling Jesus is coming. I think it's incredible, folks, to hear this. We talk of the preexistence of Christ in Genesis. Let us make man in our own image. Jesus just didn't just show up on the scene. Jesus was before and always will be part of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The preexistence of Christ before the very beginning of time. But Isaiah confirms that very fact. Because he prophesies that there will be a Messiah. There will be one to come to prepare the way of the Lord. And it would be a voice crying out to make this preparation. Even in the midst of these folks who are in exile. And this voice gave an incredible cry. Prepare the way. He's coming. This is a picture when you prepare the way of the Near Eastern custom of sending ambassadors ahead of a king to announce his coming. In other words, a king's visit to an era area would cause great celebration. And so all kind of preparations were made. Either a road would be built, a highway, and the word highway means that which is lifted. So the highway would be built above the regular. Why? Because it took out all the rocks and the crevices and made it smooth for the king to travel on. You prepared his way. Or the existing road that was there, if it wasn't new, was upgraded. Preparations including leveling not only the roadway, but filling in the valley lowering the hills and straightening out the crooked sections of the road because it was going to be a straight pathway. All the obstacles that lay in the road would be removed. 
for any king that preceded. That's exactly why Isaiah says, says this. And then in John, that's why John the Baptist says, I am that one who has come to prepare the way. I'm just the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Now get this. Here are the people in exile in the 8th century. And here is God through Isaiah saying, I'm going to send the Messiah, Yeshua. And I'm going to send Him. And He's going to be the Deliverer. He's going to be the Comforter. He's going to be the one whereby the road is set up and lifted for Him. And it's not going to have any crooks in it. It's going to be a straight path. Man, what a promise. What a promise God gave to Isaiah at that moment. You see, in Isaiah's day, the people needed to prepare for the Lord coming to deliver him from Babylonian, them from Babylonian captivity. John's day, people needed to prepare by doing exactly what John the Baptist preached. Repent and be baptized for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is coming. Today, we need to prepare by staying alert. Because as I said last week and I say it today, the next thing on God's end time, eschatological calendar, is the very rapture of the church. And we may not leave here before that happens. I don't know. That's God's timing. But people today need to prepare just like Isaiah says to the people in exile right there. Isaiah speaks God's words to his people in the midst of Babylonian exile. Then there's a third one. Then God speaks directly to Isaiah. God speaks to Isaiah. Verses 6 through 8. A voice was saying, notice the change here. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, the breath of the Lord blows them. Indeed, everything is grass. The grass withers and the flower fades away. But the word of our God remains forever. What's God saying to Isaiah? Isaiah, you're the man that's got to preach this to the people. And I want you not only to preach it, I want you to preach it with such conviction they can see that written on the depths of your heart. That they can see and hear you cry out. That word cry out there means to cry down deep from your gut. I don't know how else to describe it to you. It's a cry that is... It would be, I guess it would, the best way to, be, to describe that word cry out is if a house is burning and you know someone is in the room, you would do everything you can to get that person out. The one thing you would do would be what? You wouldn't just walk up to their door. No. You would cry out, the house is on fire! You see? That's exactly what this word means. It is a crying out. You would try to scream, especially, no matter who it is. But can you imagine that person being in that burning house? Is your family member, a loved one, whomever. You would do everything you can. That's this word, cry out. And God says to Isaiah, you cry this out to the people. You make sure they understand everything you say, no matter what. Do you think God's people listen then? Wow. Yes. Big time. Because He instructed. 
Because Isaiah was to proclaim the people that they were like the grass. They will wither and die. But you make sure what you understand and you preach, that the Word of God is eternal, it is strong, it is unfailing, and you don't have to worry. Because God will see to it. So here these people are. From hopelessness with Nebuchadnezzar. Seventy years. They have a great hope now for the future. God says, I'm going to fulfill wondrous promises. Even to the point. Even to the point of bringing you Yeshua Himself, Jesus, to this earth. And that's Isaiah. Talking about preaching Jesus. Wow. Then there's a fourth one. Then there's a fourth one. It's found in the last three verses, 9, 10, and 11. The God's people do what? They respond. We saw that last week. It's always a response from God's people. Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city. Herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem. Herald of good news, raise your voice, raise it, don't be afraid. Say to the cities, here is God. Wow. See, the Lord comes with strength and power. He establishes His rule. His reward is with Him and His gifts accompany Him. He protects His flock. He gathers the land. Wow, can you imagine the very fact? How is God's people to respond? The Bible says that in Isaiah's day and right now, you and I are to go up on the mountain. Now, does He mean that literally? Well, we may need to. But I think He means the mountains of our heart. And I think He means the mountains of the communities that we're in. And I think He means the mountains of the grocery store line. And I think He means the mountains of the doctor's office. And I think He means the mountains of the gas station. You get my point. Every person you and I interact with every day of our life is not a mistake. God arranged it. Now what does God want to set through us to them. You know, when you see folks during the day, wherever you are, that takes that on a whole new perspective. Because Isaiah says, you cry out. Do they see that kind of passion in us? Do they see when they leave us that there's a passion that Jesus Christ is coming and I'm more concerned about your soul than I am anything? They see that kind of passion. That's what Isaiah said to the people. You've been in captivity. You have gone through torture. Many of you have been killed over the last 70 years. And now what God's saying, I'm going to bring you out of that torture. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going as far as to send Yeshua the Messiah to this world. What good news. And the way you and I respond to that is that our lives respond by like Zion. Get on a mountain and tell the world. Jesus Christ is the answer. So what are we to do? We're to proclaim the good news. It's not to be twisted into a lie. It's not to make everybody acceptable to God. You know, we got folks preaching that there are other ways to heaven than through Jesus. Even, God forbid, in our convention. I can assure you, as your pastor... There ain't nobody standing behind this pulpit telling you there's another way to heaven than through Jesus Christ as long as I got breath in my body. Because my Bible says there is no other way. But the world's trying to figure it out. How can we bypass Jesus? You can't. You can't. And yet people are trying all the time. 
to try to go around the very fact that except a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Except a man intentionally invite Jesus Christ in his life, he won't see the kingdom of God. And Isaiah says, then get up on your mouth. What can we do this week? One thing, wherever we are, grocery store, gas, wherever we are, that can let someone know that you're a child of God. Might be a handshake. Maybe just talking to someone. Maybe going to an armed service member and just saying, thank you. I'm a member of all his friends. I love Jesus. And I just want you to know, thank you for serving. Might be seeing one of our first responders out here and telling them thank you. I don't know. Might be picking up the phone and calling someone. I don't know. But get on our mountain. That's what Isaiah told the people then. And God used him to tell them. I believe he's telling you and me to do exactly, exactly the same thing. We are to proclaim victory. Verse 10. See, the Lord God comes with strength. He establishes rule. His reward is with him. And his gifts accompany him. Then look at verse 11. Out of all these verses, this is the tender. I mean, it's all tender. It's all incredible. But this is the tender verse. And it says this. He protects his flock like a shepherd. I don't have to explain that. You know exactly what it's saying. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. My dear nanny, my mother's mother who raised us on South Colorado, I don't ever remember my nanny at the house without wearing an apron. With one of these, not the one that came across here, but one of these like this. We had a little chihuahua. His name was Tip. And he was called Tip because of a little white tip on the end of his tail. Nicest dog, unless you didn't know him. Then he was as mean as mean could be. But my nanny, that dog loved my nanny. You know what she'd do? I'd come in from school, and she'd be sitting in her chair, and that little chihuahua would be wrapped up in her apron right here, laying close to her heart. And I thought, as I was preparing the sermon, that's the fold of the garment. The fold of the garment is not down here. The fold of the garment was the outer garment that they wore that was short like an apron, and when you fold it up, whatever is in it, was carried close to your heart. Now, does that take on a little bit of different meaning? God says, I fold you up and I hold you close to my heart. There's nothing that you and I can face that God hadn't folded us up in this life like that. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. That's what the Scripture... He protects his flock like a shepherd. I could preach sermon after sermon on that. He knows our name. Folks, even the hairs of our head are numbered. People look at me and say, you really believe that, don't you? Yeah. You know the God who created us can number the hairs on our head. He gathers the lambs in his arm and carries them in the fold of his garment. That's exactly what the shepherd... I mean, can you imagine such tender... Tender, tender, tender words. Folks, an Eastern traveler tells of, of seeing precisely what Isaiah describes. A very true story. It says, one shepherd led his flock by a zigzag path up almost perpendicular to the mountain. And behind it, two young lambs were walking with him and 
and, and with their feet by their mom, and they went frisking about one another, and they jumped lightly as lambs would do, trying to get off the path, but the path became steeper and steeper, and the flock began to disappear because these little two could not keep up. And you could hear the mother lamb crying and now lingering behind. And so they stopped because they got caught on a cliff, on a shelf, going up the mountain and were afraid. The mother stopped by their side and the shepherd thought they could be lost and saw eagles soaring everywhere and round the cliff, steeping down lower and lower. But no, 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 that didn't happen. What happened was the stressed Hardy had reached the ear of the shepherd and he climbed down the rock to get to them and he saw those helpless two little sheep caught right there on that shelf of the ledge. A minute more, he was standing by them and then what did he do? That near eastern shepherd took those sheep and in the fold of his garment wrapped both of them and carried them to safety. Folks, there's so many times, what's the story about, you know, when God carries us on the beach, you see one set of footprints. You see, I think God carries us all the time. We're His children. Just like my dear sweet grandmother, my mother's mother, my nanny, she carried Tip that afternoon. And that so impressed me, even at 62 years old, I remember that by being a small child, that she had that much love. Then I thought, hey, Randy, That's how much God loves you. I know he died. He took every sin we'd ever commit. But it didn't stop there. He took the words of Isaiah. And he shared those words with Isaiah. And he said, now you preach this to your people. And he first first said there were God's words to his people. The second thing, he spoke God's word to the people in Babylonian exile. What they were to do. That there's a Messiah coming. The third thing, he spoke directly to Isaiah. And what Isaiah was to do in proclaiming the gospel. And then the people responded. Why? Because of the tenderness and loving power of God. Folks, my prayer today is that we will hear the words of comfort from this Old Testament evangelist named Isaiah. And he preaches Jesus as Yahweh's messenger. And I hope that you and I will just take a deep breath spiritually and just realize But you know, God will see to all things, both now and even in the midst of captivity of the 8th century. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for encouraging words. Thank you for words from Isaiah where you told him to tell us. And once again, from your word, we are reminded of your incredible, incredible, incredible love. Thank you, Father, for allowing Isaiah to preach Jesus. Lord, to the point that it's clear as clear can be when we talk about that. But now, Father, we've got to be just like the children of Judah, the people of Judah. We've got to respond. So may our response be just like theirs. Let's get on our mouth. Let's tell the world, Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus loves us. May that be our message in all that we do. I pray and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. And amen. Songs just pretty well says it.
turn your eyes upon Jesus. Will you stand with us? Keith's going to lead us. This altar is open as we're here to receive you. But you sing that song as we do what it says, to turn our eyes on Jesus. Keith, lead us as we sing that right now. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His 